Okay, we're doing now Parshas Vayechi. We are on Thursday's portion, and at this point, Jacob is blessing all of his sons, and we're in the middle of the blessings. So we're up to verse 19. This is the blessing for God. A troop will troop forth from God. If you hear it in the Hebrew, you hear the alliteration here. God kedud yigudenu. Vuhu yagud a cave. A troop will troop forth from God, and he will troop back on his tracks. So <coughs> the word, the tribe's name is God, and using that word is the word gidud, which means a troop, and the troop is trooping forth. So there's a very long Rashi here, questioning because a troop is gidud, which means there's two Dalits. God, of course, is one. God, gidud, God, the troop, but then it says, Yigudenu will troop forth. So what happens to the other Dalit? Meaning, the word troop is Gimel, Dalit, and Dalit. But then the verb, as the Chumash is saying, it has only one Dalit, a Gimel and a Dalit. So we're questioning, how could Rashi say this word means the troop will troop forth if the verb, form of this, should also have a second Dalit? What happened? So Rashi explains at length with many, many, many proofs is that if a word, the ultimate root word here is gimel dalit. If that root word is the noun, it has two dalits, gimel, like in our case, gimel, dalit, dalit, like gidud, troop. And Rashi gives many, many proofs. Now, sometimes when that noun becomes a verb, it also has to have two dalits, meaning if it's a two-letter root word, like here, gimel dalit, and is in the verb form, Sometimes that second letter, in our case the Dalit, has to be doubled, which will be Gimel, Dalit, Dalit. But, Rashi is saying, not every time. When is it Dalit? Basically, when it is causative. Causative could be in two directions. Causative to yourself, like he will roam, he will be raised, he will despoil, he will return. That's when you're causing something to happen to yourself. Or causative to others. In any of those cases, causative, I'm causing myself to do something, or causative, I'm causing someone else to do something, you have that two-letter root word, the second letter of the two letters is doubled. So in our case, gimel dalit troop, or gimel dalit troop, which is coming from the root word gimel dalit, yes, when we conjugate it as a verb, you would need two dalits, gimel dalit dalit. But... If that two-letter root word, gimel dalid, is not in a causative form, it's a verb, but not a causative verb, just a plain, simple verb, then we don't double the second letter. Like in our case, God, yigud, gidud, yigudenu. The troops will troop forth from God. It's not causative to themselves, it's not causative to anybody else. It's just a simple verb. Like he walks, he, ca- he troops forth. So therefore, there's no reason grammatically to double the second letter, which is how Rashi can say that Yigudenu, which only has one dollar, not two, is truly the verb form of the noun gidud, which has two dollars. So in the noun it has two dollars, in the verb it only has one, because we don't need to double the dollar, because it's not a noun, in which case we need to, and it's not causative for yourself or for others, in which case we need to. That's a very long Rashi with many, many proofs for this concept. Next Rashi on this verse, and he will shoot back on his tracks. This is very simple. It's a concept, not grammar or, English, or, or translation. It means every single one of his troops will return back 
to the other side of the Jordan where they are settled, which means, in other words, not one person from the tribe of God will die in all of their seven years of fighting for their brothers. If you remember the story, two and a half tribes chose to live on the other side of the Jordan River. Reuven and Gud, because they had a lot of cattle, and this was pasture land, and Menashe, because he wanted to live in a messianic way, and in the times of the Mashiach, the Messiah, all those lands to the east of the Jordan will also be part of Israel proper. So Moses made a deal with them on condition that they will fight at the heads of the, the Jewish tribes to conquer the land for their brothers, and they agreed, and they fully committed and did their word. So Gud was at the head of the troops, fighting for his brother's land, and for seven years he did so, and not one soldier from Gud died in the process. It says he's going to troop back a cave on his tracks, which Rash explains means that they're going to literally go back on the same routes that they go. They're going to go and return on the same routes. That's what we're saying literally on his tracks. That was the blessing of Gud. The next verse is a blessing of Usher, another tribe. From Usher, his bread is rich, and he'll provide kingly delicacies. So Rashi says, bread here means generically food, and the food which comes on the portion of Usher will be very rich, because there will be many olives in Usher's portion. And he's going to draw forth much, much oil, like a spring. Just like you have a spring of water, he's going to have, so to speak, a spring of oil. Now this blessing is very, very similar to the blessing that Moses blessed Usher, where Moses also blessed Usher that he's going to dip his feet in oil. The Rashi here alludes to the same story, to the same incident that he alluded to by Moses' blessings, which is there was a, a city in Asia or in Asia Minor, a non-Jewish city, Ludisha, which was short on oil, needed oil. So he appointed some emissary and said, go bring us one million mana, which is approximately... 140,000 gallons of olive oil. He went to Jerusalem. They said, go to Tyre. He went to Tyre. They said, go to Gush Halav, which is in the portion of Asher. Go into such and such person's field. They found someone digging ditches around olive trees. And he's thinking, I mean, this is crazy. You have one million mana of oil? You have 140,000 gallons of olive oil? And he said, when I finish my work, and here he's acting like a very simple worker. And the, the emissary is thinking, this is crazy. This simple worker, he's going to give me one million money of oil? I think the Jews are playing a trick on me. <clears throat> but then when they came to the town where this orchard owner lived, the slave woman brought out a jug of water for him. He washed his hands and feet. She brought him a golden cup full of oil, and he dipped his hands and feet in the oil fulfilling Moses' blessing, which is similar to Jacob's here, about so much oil that he'll dip his feet in oil. And then he literally gave him one million money of oil. And he said, wait, and then he said to him, do you need more? He said, you have more? I mean, I need more, but I don't have any more money. He said, don't worry, I'll come with you. I'll get my money. And then he measured another 180,000 money of oil. So this is a very impressive story here to show how much oil they had an usher that he could sell easily, no big deal, 140,000 gallons of oil. And also, of course, very strongly is a lesson of this story of someone who obviously was enormously rich, but he behaves very, very simply. He's living like he's, he's, he, he was literally acting so much just like a simple worker 
that this emissary thought the Jews are playing a trick on me. But they weren't. This is how he behaved. Um, that was a blessing of Asher. The next verse is a blessing of Naphtali. Naphtali is like a deer sent off who delivers beautiful sayings. So Rashi explains, he's like a deer sent off. This is actually, according to this Rashi, not referring to the people of Naphtali. We'll see a few different opinions, a few different explanations, all of which are true. They're not contradictory. They're all complementary of understanding this blessing. But in this first Rashi, we're talking about the valley, a certain land of Asher, the valley of Ginosar, which its fruits ripen very, very quickly. So just as the deer runs so quickly, its fruits ripen very quickly as if they're running. There's a very, very fertile valley extending inland from the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. That was the first Rashi. The second Rashi, he will deliver beautiful things. Rashi says, understand this the way Uncles understands it. Rashi doesn't tell us how Uncles understands it because he assumes we'll look inside. And Uncles says his portion will yield fruit and then they will give thanks and blessings over them. So the beautiful sayings, according to Unkelis, are the thanks and blessings Naphtali is giving over all his beautiful fruit. Another way of understanding this blessing, a different interpretation, besides being on this specific valley of Ginosar, is that Jacob here is prophesizing about a very specific war, the war against Sisera, where 10,000 men of Naphtali fought, and they went there very, very, very quickly, just like the deer runs so quickly, Naphtali's 10,000 soldiers quickly, quickly moved. So we see the quickness is not just in the land, it's in Naphtali himself. So then what does it mean, the beautiful sayings? Because of this enormous, enormous victory, which the tribe of Naphtali were the soldiers that God achieved it through, so the leaders of the army, Devorah and Barak, sang a song of praise to God. So their song of praise to God are the beautiful words that Jacob is referring to here. Another explanation, now we have the third. Remember, the first was the Valley of Ginosar. The second is the 10,000 soldiers of Naphtali that are so quickly coming and winning the war, and then Devor and Barak give these beautiful songs to God. The third explanation is it's referring specifically to Naphtali himself, and it's talking about a very specific event that happened in his lifetime, that on the day of Jacob's burial, which we will learn about in this portion, <coughs> when the brothers finally came to the cave of Machpelah to bury him, Esau came, and he's like, hey, wait a minute, it's mine. And Naphtali ran back to Egypt, it says. He ran all the way back to Egypt because Jacob had a deed. In other words, Jacob had bought. It wasn't just that since Jacob bought the birthright, he gets his portion. Literally, Jacob had paid Esau for his portion in the cave of Machpelah, and they made a deed of sale. But the deed of sale was in Egypt. So Naphtali ran from Israel, from Hebron, all the way back to Egypt to get the deed that shows it's truly his land. So this is what it means that he himself personally is as fast as this deer. Now another interpretation is of the, he gives forth beautiful sayings, means talking about how the people of Naphtali will praise their portion meaning the land they got in Israel, they're going to give thanks and blessings for the beautiful land in Israel. So we see here three different interpretations of Naphtali being as fast as a deer, his valley being so fast to ripen, his 
men, his, the, the soldiers from the tribe of Naphtali, being so fast in this war against Sisera, and Naphtali himself personally being so fast in racing back to Egypt to get that deed of sale. And also in terms of the beautiful praises, we have correspondingly three different explanations for that as well. So each of those notice were one verse long, each very beautiful blessing. Now we begin the blessings of Joseph, which is till the end of today's portion, though we are definitely not going to finish, but that is verse 20 and 21 and 22 and 23 and 24 and 25 and 26. So all the other brothers that we learned of today had one verse. Joseph has seven with many long Rashi, so we were not going to finish them. So the first verse, which also has many explanations, a son of grace is Joseph, a son of grace to the eye. Girls stepped up to gaze. Okay. A lot of confusion what this verse means, a lot of Rashi's. So what does this mean? I translated it according to Rashi's basic translation, a son of grace. In Hebrew, it's ben poras Yosef, ben poras. What does it mean, ben poras? So the first explanation of Rashi is grace. Where, do, where in the world do we get poras to mean grace? Because in the Aramaic, this root word means grace. Ben poras alei ayin, a son of grace to the eye. Rashi says his grace spread out over the, all the eyes that see him, meaning anyone who looks at him notes his grace. Okay, then we have this hard phrase, which means girl, according to the first basic interpretation of Rashi, girl steps up to gaze. Now, shore has two explanations here. Rashi's incorporating actually two explanations, translating shore twice within one translation. Shore could mean a wall, and shore could mean to look. So girls stepped up to gaze, Rashi is saying, meaning the girls of Egypt would step up on the shore, which means, again, a wall, to shore, shore in Hebrew, means to look at Joseph's beauty. That Joseph was so, so beautiful that wherever he went, the girls would all want to watch him. So these are about Egyptian girls here, that they would step up on the wall to be able to look and see Joseph. He was so beautiful. Now, this phrase is a little strange if it means literally girls stepping up on the wall, because girls is plural, obviously, but the verb to step here is written in the singular, feminine but singular. So it's many girls, but it's taking one step. So Rashi resolves that conflict between how can we have the subject, the plural subject, girls, with the singular predicate step. So how Rashi explains it is that the combination implies that each of the many girls individually stepped up to see him. So that was one explanation of this verse. Another explanation, Alei Shor means overseeing him. Again, Shor following before in the previous explanation of Rashi, we gave Shor two explanations within one explanation of Rashi, within one commentary of Rashi, wall and sea. Here we just have the word sea. So, Alei Shor, um, they were seeing him, just the idea of seeing him. Now, we're going back to the beginning of the verse. A son of grace is Joseph. And when we're looking here, look at this as grace, because the root word, the feyim reish in Aramaic, is a root word of grace. But then we have this extra letter, the third letter of self. What's that doing there? Poras. That's some part of the root word of grace. So Rosh says, don't worry, that in the Hebrew, in the scripture, we sometimes have that extra self, the final letter here, added as an enhancement of the language, but not really in any way chaining, changing the meaning of the word. 
okay. I mean, we, we're sort of over time. I'll just very quickly give you the rest of the Rashi on this one verse. Sure, again, meaning to gaze, um, but changing the meaning here of sure to meaning two tribes. Benos here meaning two tribes, because it's in plural, are coming forth from his sons. But it doesn't say tribes are coming forth. It's talking about girls. So why is it talking about girls if it means tribes? So Rashi says because it's to allude to the very special girls that came from one of his tribes. He had two tribes from him, as we learned at the beginning of this portion, Ephraim and Menashe. His two sons, each one became a tribe. Menashe, as we learned, had very, very special daughters in the tribe of Menashe, the daughters of Tzlachad, who demanded a portion and received a portion as women in the land of Israel. So, Benos Tzada Aleishor is meaning here that the two tribes shall come forth from his sons, and these two tribes are called girls in honor of the girls that are coming from Menashe that are so, so, so special. Another way of looking at this word, Ben Paras Yosef, instead of being Grace, the son of Grace is Joseph, but Paras from the term fruitful, that Joseph's tribe was very fruitful and multiplied. Another way of understanding this, which fits the wording, is that it's referring specifically to an event that happened in Joseph's life, that when Asaph came and encountered the family of Jacob, so we see, as we probably pointed out then, that in each, the, the four wives came forth with their children. And each of them it says, what Leah and her children, Bilah and her children, Zilpah and her children, and Joseph and Ra- Rachel. As if Joseph is before Rachel. And as Rashi explains there, that Joseph, who was six years old at the time, said, my mother is very beautiful. Asaph is very wicked. I don't want him looking at her. Who knows what's going to happen? So I'm going to stand in front of her to block his gaze. So, doing so, it says he, like, stretched his height to, to, to cover her. Now, obviously, the, the, the Midrash in this says it was a big miracle, because, as I said, he was six years old, and there's no way the height of a six-year-old covered and blocked his mother, Rachel. But here we're saying that he stretched himself, and God made a miracle that truly his height blocked Asaph's eyes. So that would that would fit with this idea of, so therefore, since he stretched himself, or with God's help, stretched himself to block Asaph's eyes from seeing Rachel's beauty, his father blessed him, Ben Paras Yosef. Paras here meaning growing, like we said, Paras is fruitful. So Ben, a son, because truly he was six years old at the time, so Ben Paras Yosef, you are a growing son, Yosef. Joseph, you're six years old, but you're really growing because you enlarge yourself over the eye, again, sure, to see, because over the eye of Asaph. And that's why the girls are going to step up to look at you when you're going over Egypt. So you, Ben Paras Yosef, you grew yourself, you extended yourself over the eye of Joseph when you were a Ben, when you were truly six years old, a child. Another way, which also refers back to the same story, is because he did this, he will be beyond the evil eye. Many, many, many interpretations. This is all just what Rashi is telling us. There are far more interpretations to understand all the blessings embedded in these verses.